Stop the presses. The Yankees have won a series, everybody. We'll debrief the Yanks taking three or four from the Indians in Cleveland. The bats showing a little life. Good news, Monty. And the struggles from Jamison Tyone. And our special guest this week is a three-time Yankees World Series champion, Nelly's old teammate in the Bronx, the legendary Daryl Strawberry. Lots to do next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Sheeran, yes, and at NYNelly43 is Nelly. And Instagram for him is at Jeff.Nelson43. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown pop in during the show from time to time. Go give us a five-star rating and write in a positive review on Apple Podcasts. We surely appreciate it. New episodes drop Mondays and Thursdays. Our special guest this week later in the pod will be another one of Nelly's former teammates, a three-time Yankees World Series champion and also won a fourth to start his career in 86 with the Mets. The great Daryl Strawberry later in the show. But first, we welcome in Jeff Nelson after that very long intro. Jeff, it seems like the Yankees went to the doctor. The doctor prescribed them four games with the Indians, and that seems to be the great elixir so far for this club. Well, and, and guess what? They did it in cold weather, so the yeah, cold how weather about is not an excuse that, oh, <laughs> the bats will warm up when it gets warm. No, they hit the ball the ballpark. They look like a team. You know, it didn't start out too well, and Herman start in the first inning. You were like, oh, gosh. I, I think I even texted you and said, oh, but here, here comes the Bad News Bears. What a great start they got off to. I mean, they were throwing the ball all around. Herman dropped a possible double play ball, and then he settled down. He wound up having a really good start they came back in the bottom half the Indians don't play good defense either uh, Naylor out in right field decided that he was a punter instead of a right fielder <laughs> and uh you know gave him gave it right back to him and and uh, the Yankees wind up winning three out of four you know they hit the ball out of the ballpark it was good it was nice to see yeah this is what you have to think of the way that they won these games the first two games especially put, put we'll put Cole aside for a second because even he had to battle through uh his game third game in the series but the first two games that they won Jeff Domingo Herman as you said gets into trouble and then Jordan Montgomery gets into the same first inning trouble and it was those three nothing deficits that this team has been dealing with and well it felt like when they were down one nothing before the Cleveland series it was like eight nothing because they weren't hitting they were listless you know they weren't putting together good at bats they did do that in Cleveland and it's a step in the right direction look there's still three games under 500 as we tape this here on a Monday the day that they go into Baltimore uh, for four with the Orioles they are tied with the Orioles at nine and 12 right now. Look, I told everyone that was listening on Thursday, I will accept nothing less than nine and two through this 11 game stretch with Cleveland, Baltimore, and Detroit. They are well on their way to perhaps match what I wanted in the nine and two, Jeff. And and if you ask me, they got to bring the brooms out for this Orioles series. And if they do that, they're a game over 500, get some good juju. I know it's the Orioles. I know it's the Tigers after them, but these are teams you're supposed to beat and you're supposed to pound. Go do your job. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, 
even take three out of four would be great and then go into Detroit and take two out of three. You have to win series. Yeah, you just win series. They really played a good series against Cleveland. Could have easily won the last game as well. Just didn't get, you know, Tyone looked really good until the fourth inning and then he kind of, you know, everything's instead of up in the zone and hitting his spots, he started getting it out over the middle of the plate and he got hammered a little bit, especially the one to Reyes that he uh, that he hit out and the Indians took the lead. Uh, you're going to see Davey Garcia. He's going to get his 2021 debut uh, on Monday. You're going to see Kluber on Tuesday. He got the extra day. You know, everything is starting to click and now you just uh, just hold your breath every time. Say, please, just stay healthy. Just stay healthy. I, you don't even have to worry about LeMayhew. Yes, he's struggling at the plate. Last 14 games, what, hitting 250. Uh, they gave him a rest on Sunday. He's going to be there. I mean, this guy's an unbelievable hitter. You're not worried about guys like that. And you just want everybody else to stay healthy. Stan hit a couple bombs in, in what was it, Saturday's game? You know, Friday's game? Uh, you know, Judge looked good. You know, Frazier's still struggling at the plate. Or Shella looked good. Mike Ford hit his first homer. So offensively, they're starting to play well. Uh, Hicks is now hurt. He had back stiffness on Sunday. It could be because of the cold weather. But they're playing well. I mean, if any negative comes out of anything with the Yankees, I still think they need to address their starting rotation. I still don't think their starting rotation is good enough. But they played really well against Cleveland. You're absolutely right. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat right now. I'm glad you brought it back to the starting pitch because I wanted to circle back to Jamison Tyone. And I want to get your full assessment because this is what I think. And this is what I thought about him when I was watching him in his last two starts against the Braves. He was able to put guys away. You did see that. And then in this last one against the Indians, he didn't have that pitch again. He just couldn't close guys out. I think this is going to happen with him more often than not coming back from his second Tommy John surgery. So I'm going to roll with J-Mo. I am. I really am. His journey this year is is still, to me, going to be exciting to watch. It's Corey Kluber that everyone has to worry about. And I think the Yankees are kind of taking it like, well, we're going to wait for him to build himself up too because we think from what we learned before we signed him that he's going to be where we need him to be to get us back to where we want to be in the postseason. But I think he's the linchpin. Tyone is going to be Tyone Nelly. That's just the way I feel. He's going to be building himself up. He's going to be figuring it out as the season goes along. But between Kluber and whoever's in that five hole, that's what's going to make or break the Yankees this year. Yeah, you know, I'm worried about Kluber. I don't know what he's going to, you know, what he's going to transform into as a pitcher throughout and if he can stay healthy. Tyone, you know, whenever whenever guys leave spring training or they get into spring training, your off speed is always something that comes last. That's because it's a field pitch, whether it's a change-up, slider, breaking ball, it's always something that takes a little bit to develop. And when you've had two Tommy Johns, you know, he could be, and who knows, it could be in his head saying, you know what, I'm really not comfortable right now snapping this breaking ball off like I've used to. Like, there has to be trepidation there. Yeah. When you've had two of those, you have to be wondering, if I really snap this one off, am I going to be out again? And, and yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, his fastball is there as far as velocity, and that could be that could creep up as well. Maybe in some sense he's afraid just to let it go totally. Now, he was pitching at the top of the zone a lot yesterday against Cleveland. He 
was getting away with it early. And, you know, you can't always stay up there. You know, you're going to have to show something down. You have to show a breaking ball, a slider, a change. You have to throw something down in order to come back up in the zone. You have to change the eye level of the hitter. And when you had two Tommy Johns, you got to have something in the back of your head saying, you know what, if I snap this off, is, is something going to happen again? Uh, you want a you want a long career. He you know he hasn't pitched in a couple of years, and that tendency or something to hold you back is probably still in his head. It's not only the Tommy Johns too, Nelly. This is a guy who had the two Tommy Johns. He had a sports hernia. He had testicular cancer. People have to remember these guys aren't robots. I know Kluber's called the Klubot, but these guys aren't robots. They're human beings. And this has to be knocking around in his head. I mean, he's got to be thinking to himself, all right, my life is like Murphy's Law right now. Whatever could possibly go wrong will we'll go wrong. Hey, put my shoes on and walk a mile. You'll, you'll find out. <laughs> all about Murphy's Law. But I mean, it's got to be in his head when he goes out there. He's trying to build himself up. He's trying to get himself mentally prepared, you know, to be the pitcher he was before all this stuff happened to him. Who knows how long that's going to take? I mean, it might take a whole season where he's like, oh, you know, I'm able to stay healthy for a full year. Now, 2022, I can actually, you know, try to get that out of my head and let things go and let things happen. It might be a half a year. We might see it after the All-Star break that he can finally say, you know what, now I'm starting to feel good, feeling good. I can put all the, you know, tendencies, me just holding back and always thinking in the back of my mind, I'm going to feel something if I snap this off. If I reach out there for that fastball and try to get extended, I'm going to feel something. Maybe it, maybe it does take a half a year. Maybe it takes a whole year. Who knows how long that's going to take. Now, with Herman, I'm really excited about seeing his next outing. You know, I think after the first first inning, he really settled down and he really looked good. He really looked like the pitcher that we saw in spring training. And, and I'm excited about seeing his next outing. That's a great point. You know, that could have went south in a hurry and it could have went south with Jordan Montgomery, too. They had Nick Nelson up in the first inning. He might have been over 30 pitches in that first inning in the second game of the four-game set with the Indians. But I want to go back to Herman because you brought him up. That's a great point out of you because the way he battled, Jeff, you know, reliever, starter, it doesn't matter. If something clicks in and Matt Blake went out there and talked to him, settled him down, and he was a different pitcher from that point on. So you just hope he could piggyback off that in that next start. Yeah, I hope so too. And I think he will. You have, I think the next start's going to be against all the Orioles. So you're going to be in Baltimore and you have a team that you can dominate. So this is really good for Herman to pitch against a couple teams that he could dominate the lineup. And then that could carry him for a while. You know, he could be a big impact starter for the Yankees if he can continue to do what he did those last five innings of his, his start against Cleveland on what was it, Thursday. So that that's exciting. And who knows what you're going to get from Davey uh, Garcia. You know, I watched him in spring training. His breaking stuff was an issue and his command was an issue. Let's see how that is on, on the first day. And again, you're playing Baltimore. I mean, yes, it can hurt you. They have a good team. You don't take any teams lightly. But when you're going up against the Orioles, a team that you should dominate, uh, this is going to be a nice start for Garcia as well in, in, in his debut. Yeah, just don't be a drum major. 
keep the ball down in the band box. Right. See what I, see what I did there, Nelly? Uh, <laughs> you, you know Camden Yards as well as anybody uh, growing up in Baltimore. I know it wasn't there when you were growing up in Baltimore, but uh, you did grow up down there and you played at Camden Yards, so you know it better than anybody. We'll see if Yankee starting pitching can keep the ball down and keep the ball in the yard. I know Herman has had a problem with that early on in the season, keeping the ball in the ballpark, and that's an issue uh, if you're playing at Camden Yards. Sure, you, got, you got any more dad jokes for us? That was was a, a classic dad joke. Do you got a more in the archives? I am a dad, Jake. <laughs> I have the dad bod. You have the dad jokes. <laughs> you got the dad BMI. Anyway, I, I lost. My, oh, this is where I wanted to go, Nelly. The thing that really shot out at me in Montgomery's start was the fact that the Yankees had six hits in the game and four of them were home runs. Now look, I know I'm nitpicking here, and you know I always do this. But I'd like to see, <laughs> we're going to talk about this with Daryl Strawberry too, how that lineup back then, those uh, late 90s teams that you and Straw were on, I mean, you guys jobbed the other pitching staffs. Every at bat was a marathon at bat. It seemed like every guy in that lineup knew how to take either the starter or the clown show of relievers that came into task. And they were not done with their at bat until they got the pitch that they could drive. That's what, I think that's the glaring difference between the teams that you played on and the current teams that we have seen the past couple of years. That yeah, that, that there are some games where there are some grind out at bats from guys. And we saw that in Cleveland. We saw that's why the Yankees took three or four up there. But it just seems like there has to be more of those at bats if this team is going to be successful at a high level this season, Jeff. Well, I, you know, you kind of hope so. I mean, the game has changed so much as far as what the approach of hitters, the approach of pitchers. You know, I think you talked about, oh, they're not robots, but in a lot of ways with the analytics are teaching these guys how to be robots. And and, and I think fortunately for the Yankees, you know, I, I wish they would do be able to score runs in different ways instead of the home run. Uh, but this is how they, they're built and this is how, uh, you know, they're taught to swing. And pitchers, you know, it, it drives me nuts when I see pitchers on the mound. I see the Yankees and and a lot of times I would go through scenarios of even when I played, if I played, uh, you know, on my own team, I knew that the free agency, I probably won't be on the same team forever. You know, I'm going to go somewhere else. So I would say, okay, if I was in Seattle, I'd say, how am I facing Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner, Ken Griffey, those, if I was in New York, how am I facing Jeter and, and those type hitters, even though I was a teammate, because I, I probably wouldn't going to be their teammate forever. I watch these guys and I watch the Yankees now and a pitcher will go and expose a weakness to straight pitches and they have bad swings and instead of going back there for the third time that computer says or that analytical equation says you know what oh two you're supposed to go away and so there's no there's no feel what the pitcher pitcher is doing out there he plays into the hand of the home run hitters you can look bad on two swings and all of a sudden you throw them right out over the middle of the plate and then all of a sudden he takes you deep oh two and that's what the Yankees can do I mean they can hurt you when you make mistakes because they're not getting pitched a lot of times one way all the time a lot of times these young pitchers you'll get some veterans that'll see and 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 go on feel but a lot of these guys they'll say oh you know I'm supposed to do this oh two or one two or one one and 
a lot of it plays right into the Yankees' hands. I mean, I watched a game yesterday that, you know, it was the Marlins-Giants. It wasn't a big deal that this pitcher came inside to a right-handed hitter twice, and he had the worst swing on an inside fastball two times in a row. What did he do? He went right back outside with the fastball, and the guy hit a base hit to right field. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, you just you didn't watch what this guy did to your pitch. And even the catcher, you can blame the catcher as well. It's like, you, you guys don't read this? I mean, what's going on? So, you know, with the Yankees' power up and down the lineup, you know, look what look at the mistakes that they hit, you Did know, you, in, uh, Jeff, in you, Cleveland. When when you pitched, when you came out of the bullpen for any team, but, you know, especially for the Yankees, and you had a guy chase your slider. Here, I'm going to put up a situation for you. He chases the slider. You're, he's down 0-2. Now, I know you like to bust him in, too. So would you try a fastball inside, or would you throw him another slider because he, he looks like an idiot on, on your slider? Yeah, no, I'm throwing slide. I'm going further out. Out. You, you know, it's just so, and that's what I would always tell my catchers. So I mean, you're reading, care. you're reading the batter, you're reading the swings. You're not. Well, yeah, it, yeah, it took a little. I mean, it, I mean, you don't learn this the first couple of years, but after a while, you realize that you know, oh, this guy looks so bad on a slider. I'm just going to go further out and see if I can get him to chase further out. And I would tell, I mean, I didn't care if hitters knew I was throwing slider or not. Go ahead and try to hit it. You know, if I hang it, then it's going to be my fault. But I I would say that you're not hitting me. You know, I would come into games and, you know, I remember I I came in with bases loaded one time when I was in Seattle and Texas. I threw nine straight sliders and struck out three guys on nine pitches. And I'm like, I didn't care if they knew it or not. It just felt that good. And guys nowadays, they don't read swings they don't read what uh what guys are trying to do they don't try to set up pitch after pitch when we had cc sabathia on what did he say you know analytics are good in some ways but how do you get to that pitch i mean if a guy hits 100 on a slider do you have to continually throw him sliders all the time well most guys do but you have to set up that how do you get that guy hitting 100 on that slider you don't throw him six straight sliders because eventually he may hit that ball you got to try to set that up and then he hits 100 on that slider well how many times have we seen like a pitcher get beat on his second best pitch you know i go back to layritz all the time against wollers uh he threw him a slider he threw him a cement mixer and jimmy deposited it and the, the the dynasty basically began with that swing um and then you look recently in chapman in in the playoffs his slider you know, Altuve with the home run off the slider. I know they, they might've had a buzzer uh, on his chest in that situation <laughs> and, and he knew what pitch was coming, but it just seems to me that more often than not, I'm sitting on my couch and I'll, and Aaron judge or Giancarlo Stanton will be up and they'll be behind in the count one, two, and to judge's credit, you blink. And most of the time he works it back to three, two, he's a magician with that stuff. How many times he's down in the count and, and how many times he gets jobbed with low strikes. And the fact that he brings the count back to three, two and potentially gets a pitch he could hit judge is a master at that but i'll be sitting there and if they're behind in the count i know what pitch is coming because people watch video on these guys they throw them that outside slider and they're swinging at it and it's in the other batter's box it's amazing if if i'm sitting here and i know it's coming how do they not know it's coming nelly well i mean our scouting reports were easy it was fastballs in sliders away you know every single every single hitters meeting that we had we didn't need analytics. You, you know, I would sit there and I, I couldn't listen to the hitters meetings because all of a sudden they would make every single one of them seem like they were Babe Ruth. It's like, OK, I walk out of this meeting. Why am I even pitching today? You know, I, I'm, I'm never going to get these guys out. And what but was the scouting like, report on Bo? In. He had one pitch for crying out. Yeah. Fastballs in, sliders away. I mean, 
that's all you needed to know. And, and you know what? Guys that had big breaking balls better come in with the fastball so you could go back out because if you continually go outside, 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 and that's what they do now. Very, very few guys come inside. They don't set up pitches. Even Cole, as good as stuff as Cole has, he doesn't come inside as much. I mean, you look at Adovino when he was with the Yankees and now he's with Boston. He had such a big slider. But he could have been even better, and he was a good reliever. He just never came inside. I mean, he threw hard and never came inside. So, you know, when a hitter's constantly seeing outside, 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 and you know you're not going to come in, if you come in, it's a mistake. He got behind way too often, too. Yeah. He didn't have a lot of command with, with his breaking stuff, which is phenomenal, by the way. But when you don't have command and you get behind and then you have to come in with a fastball, things are not going to work out. Sometimes so you just well got to go by feel, guys. You know, when, when me and Nelly are three Jaeger shots deep, we'd say, you know, I'm feeling a fourth. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Wendy's afterwards is was the bad idea, and the vomit comes out later in the night. <laughs> well, you can't you can't bookend a Jaeger night with Wendy's and McDonald's at either end. That that's just no. because it's going to come out both ends. Yes, hello, and it, it sure did. Uh, <laughs> but you guys, it's Yankees fans for Mets this week because we got two at the Red Sox at Citi Field. I'll be at both, so I know you guys will be cheering on the Mets. Which you guys could come through. You got to roll through to uh, the best team in New York. Uh, come to Queens this season. Pump, pump your brakes a little bit there, Pally Wally. We're, we're still, we're still in April. Clint Frazier, though, that was one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. It was. We, 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 we'd be remiss if we didn't bring that up. That was Superman esque. That was unbelievable. Full, fully parallel to the ground, and he made that grab. Someone else who was uh, incredible wearing those road grays is about to join us. When we come back here on the Pinstripe Pod, another one of Nelly's former teammates, the great Daryl Strawberry, next. The man on the line right now needs no introduction. He played with the Yankees 1995 through 1999, also won a World Series championship with the New York Mets in 1986. He's a three-time champion with the Yankees. You could follow Daryl Strawberry on Instagram at DarylStrawberry18. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Since the Yankees are about to start a four-game set with the Orioles, I, I thought it was kind of apropos to head in the DeLorean, go back to 1998, circa May 19th, put the time circuits there. Godzilla came out in the movie straw. I was sitting in a movie theater with one earbud in my left ear. My cousin had the other earbud in his right ear. We were listening to the game against the Orioles and watching Godzilla on the big screen and absolutely started going bananas when the brawl started to break out. And we're, we're, we're listening to it on radio, so we can't see the pictures, obviously. But just take us through that. What was going on in your head when uh, Tino gets plunked and then all hell starts to break loose? Well, first of all, it was a good time because it was a good team. And we just, like, loved and cared for each other and we protected each other. And, uh, you know, we had spent a lot of time together winning and, we were on our way to winning again, and, and it was just, you know, it was just a moment. You know, Bernie hits the grand slam, and the Tino gets drilled in the back. You know, that old, whoever he was, Benitez is the clown, you know, whatever you want to call him. He looks over, <laughs> looks over at our dugout like we wasn't supposed to do anything. And he just got away a couple of times, got protected, and there go Nelly and them coming out of the bullpen. They go full swing at him, you know. It just kind of kicked everything in gear again and we just went at it and we just ended up in a big brawl all in the dugout and everything it's it's our team you know and that's what 
baseball is all about. You know, it's about a team sport. It's not about an eye. You know, those years playing with the Yankees, we were all about team team sport, and we we're about winning. Yeah, you know, Straw, you were, you were definitely one of my most favorite teammates. You know, I played against you in '95, and you know, I was an American League guy my whole my whole career, and even when I grew up. I mean, I was an Oriole fan growing up in Baltimore, so I really don't remember too many National League teams, but. Playing against you in '95, we always had some good battles with the Yankees, and then being teammates with you was just—it uh, was just remarkable, you know, having you as a teammate. My mo- one of my most favorite uh, of all time. And you're right, you know, as far as teams that we had back then, you know, I, I remember the reunion we had, the, the 20-year reunion from the '96 team, and we were all we were all there. And you look around and you don't realize how good that team is, is until we were all out on the field at each position. And you said it, you know, everybody stuck together. You know, we were we were one unit and, you know, we were one unit through the all, all five years. And it was it was a pretty special team. I mean, have you ever been part of that? I know you won a World Series with the Mets. You were with the Dodgers. Have you ever been part of such a close knit team that really battled together all the time? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Mets in the 80s and who we were. You know, we were always together and we stuck together. And, you know, no matter what we got into, we were going to be in it together. You know, the team was going to be down for each other. And I think that's what's missing in baseball more than anything now because of the salaries and, and the guys live different lives and everything. They don't connect together like we did. I mean, when you look back over those years, when we played with the Yankees now, it was just it was incredible, man. Nobody envied anybody. Everybody was pulling for each other. And I think that's why we were so successful, you know. And I, and I think today in baseball, you don't have that. You don't have that, you know, closeness, close net. I think guys just show up to the ballpark and they they want their numbers to be up and they want, you know, they want to go free agent. They want the big contract and everything. And, and, and they lose the value of what a team is all about and how do you win, you know. And I, I remember in 96, like you said, when we came back to the reunion, looked look around, you know, you remember Duncan, he was, well, you said, we played today, we win today. Had personality and swag about us in that 96. And then 98 team was just fire. You know, I can tell you that that, that was a group of guys. We, we just blew people off the field that year. And, you know, we come back in the 99 and win again and just go on and continue to win because of the boss, the way he put that team together. It was, you know, you had a general manager, but the boss really put the pieces and bought other pieces in for the team so we could play well and, and have backup off the bench. And I think that was so important. Your players off the bench could play every day, you know, if they were somewhere else. But, you know, we took roles on the Yankees to be able to be as good as we can be. Daryl, we have so many of Nelly's former teammates on the podcast and, and the recurring theme, the common denominator that always seems to come up is Mr. Steinbrenner and always putting you guys in a position to win ball games. Just how key was he being around in the clubhouse? And, you know, we had Shane Spencer on last week and, and and he said it was tough love and and he's you know he sent me down to the minors they sent me down to the minors and he was always tough on me but throughout the minors and coming up i know he didn't come up through the yankee system but guys who did come up to the yankee system always wanted to win championships at every level and they they, they just got used to it and thought it was going to be what they had to do at the big league level as well it just seems like he was always putting you guys in a position how important was he to you and to the yankee teams you were on it was very important because of also he allowed us just to be 
loose and, and players and have fun. He didn't really put pressure on us. We were down 0-2 in that World Series against Atlanta, and he just came into the clubhouse. He said, we're going to go down there, and we're going we're gonna to sweep them. We're going to win. And, you know, he just had all the confidence in us, and I, I think Nelly can answer to that, too. I know um, he just allowed us to be who we were. I think what he did was put pieces in play so Joe Torrey could have enough players to use in any situation that he needed to be able to use. And I think that's what was so incredible about it. You had a lot of guys who had had a lot of history in the major leagues and, and played a lot of games and did a lot of great things. But when it came down to, you know, all of us being together, every, everybody was in a place where they knew that be ready because if I get in the game, I need to be ready to, to perform. And I think that's what was so special about guys. You know, you had like uh, Big Daddy, you had Rock Range, you know, you had guys that got history in the big leagues, you know, and then, and then you go along with the Kings, you know, you get a guy like Scott Brochens who comes over and he's just as humble as ever. And, and he, he plays lights out, you know, for the 98 Yankees. And, or, you know, he gets in that playoff series and he just performs well. You had guys like Bog, you know, where you're able to play roles. You Charlie Hayes. We just, Joe Torrey had an opportunity to be able to match up however he wanted to match up. And I think that's what was really good about those Yankee games. Yeah, Strong, except if you, were, if you were Kenny Rogers, Kenny Rogers might have had a different answer about the boss of 96. <laughs> <laughs> he might have. He might have. He might have went a different way. He says, what, "What are you talking about? <laughs> Not putting pressure." He came up to me every outing. And was like, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" Oh, he, he thought. He thought. What? He, well, maybe the boss thought he was a little tight. You know, needed to relax because he didn't come up. He didn't oh, come he, up to a lot he of relaxed, other All right. Yeah. You know, we talk, we were talking about this, you know, we were talking about this team last week and how it just seemed like to me, I even tweeted out, I said, you know, this is a, this is a great team that needed a kick in the ass. And, you know, I always, always bring back the 98 team in our, our years and how we expected to win all the time. And we went on the field all the time. And once we stepped between the lines, we had a lot of fun. I mean, it was pretty tough because we had so many media members and we had Mr. Steinbrenner. We had all the fans. There's, you know, there's a lot of distractions that come at, at old Yankee Stadium and with New York. But when we went on the field, we expected to win. And I didn't see that from this team, except when they went to Cleveland. I finally saw it in those little three games that they won. And, and it's just, it's all about attitude. And, and you're right, you know, what was that feeling for you? I mean, my feelings, if we lost, I, I thought that was a disappointment. We went out on the field and I thought we were beating everyone every day. No question, Ali. I mean, if we lost, it was a disappointment, you know, because we believed in winning. We understood what winning was all about, you know, and I think, you know, when you look at today players, do they really truly understand that, you know, do they take that, you know, to heart? I think we took it to heart. We we represented the Bronx and, and the Yankee fans like, like it was everything to us. It meant everything to go out there and perform at our best. And, you know, you say you watched uh, the players play today, and, you know, in the last couple of games, you know, did they have a swag about yourself. You got to have a certain attitude about yourself. You play in New York, you got to make people understand. We play in New York. You do not supposed to like us. We're the Yankees. You're not supposed to like us. We're we're bad, you know, and we're supposed to be bad. And and how do we be bad? You know, we perform, you know, and I think that's what was the difference for us, you know, as, as, a, as a group of guys. We performed together, you know, and like I said, we, we it wasn't about who who's going to get the job done. Let's just get it done. I, I think that's what baseball should be all about. And I think these younger players today need to come with a little bit more swag about themselves as a team, not about, you know, myself as an individual. I think as a team, the Yankees are so talented, I think, if they could just learn to play 
play together and believe in each other and trust each other, they should be able to run away with the American League East. You know, they should be the champs of the East, you know, and, and the champs of the American League, you know, because they have so much talent. And when you have talent like that and you're not performing up to that level, there's something is really missing there. And I think we we had a better situation with the manager situation because Joe Torrey was well experienced in, in, in baseball for a very long time. And he was really kind of laid back and he, he just kind of let us play. He, he let us play through whatever we had to play through. And he knew that we can eventually get over the hump on, in some situations and, and come through. But in, in 98, we just, like I said, now that we just blew people out, it was just like we expected to win. It just seems like, Daryl, that these players today, they're inundated with numbers and sequencing and so many analytical analytically driven statistics that could, you know as a baseball player you just need as you just said Joe Torre let you relax and do your thing and those teams back then with you and Nelly everyone knew what their role was and everybody executed their role that's why you all won 114 games in 1998 there wasn't a lot of uh, you know thanks for picking me up you guys were just going out there winning every night i remember that the yankees win just saying it sarcastically because you know they won <laughs> you guys it, it, if you lost it was news for crying out loud but what i'm trying to say is it seems like the, the players today are always like wound so tight you know worrying about what the pitcher's gonna throw instead of just going up there and what buck showalter said on the pregame last week just keep it simple be a baseball player if you're you don't need a a grand slam in the first inning station to station shorten your swing just get on base start the merry-go-round going it seems like when those guys are, are doing the conga line around the bases it's when guys are taking the ball the other way guys are finding holes not just loading up and trying to hit one to Stanford, Connecticut, for crying out loud. <laughs> well, you make a good point there because that's not baseball. When everybody's trying to be home run hitters these days, and you know you got the middle infielders who need to learn how to be middle infielders. The Dodgers would have been champions a long time ago if they were fundamentally sound to get runners over and get guys in. You know, they finally went on to win the championship. And, you know, it's the same with the Yankees. You know, they got a lot of holes. You know, they got a lot of guys that swing and miss and not put the ball in play. You're going to have some, you know, big guys that's going to swing and miss a lot. But still, at the same time, it's not always about hitting the ball out of the ballpark. It's about hitting the ball off the fence, you know, driving the ball the other way, like you said. If you're strong enough, do it. You know, don't think, you know, just I got to go up there and I just got to swing up and keep swinging up on every pitch because it's not going to happen. And that's why you see more strikeouts. Um, players than you ever seen in back in the days. You know, we had guys like Jeter and Nabok, you know, those guys knew how to get on base and get guys over. And you had O'Neill, you know, he hit the ball the other way. He didn't always have to hit it out of the ballpark. And you had Tino, you had Bernie, you know, and you had Scott Brocious. You had a lot of guys that just knew how to put the ball in play. And I, I think that's what kills baseball so much today, seeing it. You know, guys do not put the ball in play enough. You know, they're not fundamentally sound. Everybody thinks, well, I'm a superstar. Everybody's not a superstar. And, you know, <laughs> you just, <laughs> they need to get past that and thank you, because know, everybody on the field thinks they're a superstar. Everybody's not a superstar. Certain people that are, that are going to do certain things, they're going to do them a little different and a lot better than certain players. But that doesn't, doesn't mean that they're better than you. They're on your team. They're your teammates. And when you get that bond together, then you understand, you know, who we are. I mean, I think the Yankees' identity at starting off this season has, has been been horrible, you know, because they should no, – no way they should be where they at. They, they should be far ahead of, you know, most of the teams that they play against. But 
obviously they're not performing at the level they should. You hit some of the furthest balls I've ever seen in in the game. You're talking about going to Camden Yards. Remember when you hit it? I don't know if you guys have been to Camden Yards, but there's a scoreboard out in almost center field, and you put it off of the scoreboard on right by the clock. You've hit it up in our bullpen a few times. I don't know if you remember that one that you yeah, hit it off the playoff. scoreboard. And then also at, at the old Yankee Stadium, I don't remember if you guys remember, there's an Utz potato chip yes, advertisement absolutely. over the bleachers. <laughs> he put it off for that one. <laughs> but the one I want to ask you about, and you weren't even a Yankee, you were a Met. You hit the roof in Montreal. <laughs> and I want to know what, what, what amazed you most about, does it amaze you how far you hit them? And what about hitting that roof in Montreal? Well, I never thought about how far I hit the baseball. I just thought about hitting the ball hard. And I think that everything else would take care of itself. And, you know, most of the times, you know, I just used my hands. I didn't, I wasn't over swinging or anything to try to hit the ball at the ballpark. And I, I think that's what made such a great difference of the ball traveling so much. I remember that ball hitting Cameron Yards. You know, I, I just remember against Baltimore in the playoffs, I think Scott Erickson, you know, it was a ball away. And I thought I was just a routine fly ball. You know, I, I, I hit it and I just kind of, Put my laid my bat down. I was started thinking, man, I missed that pitch. And there I go looking up. That ball traveled just the way it traveled, you know, because it had the backspin. And that's what was not trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Basically, I was just staying on the ball and hitting the ball hard. You had probably since Nelly brought up those home runs. You you probably had one of the sweetest swings that I've ever seen in my life. And I was so envious because it looks so effortless for you. When you were up there, it was like the bat was a freaking toothpick. My friends and I used to say that all the time watching you hit. And the fact that you could hit the ball the way you did, and, and those words you said right when you answered Nelly there were music to my ears. You said you weren't trying to jack the ball into next week. You were just using your hands and swinging, and the ball went. I mean that's what I grew up hearing all the time. And now all I hear is launch angle, this and exit velocity that, you know, it's kind of like the movie major league when the, when the people are sitting in the stands in Cleveland, and the guy says it's too high, <laughs> too high. It's gone. Who cares how fast it got out? It's over the fence. I don't, I don't understand this love affair with exit velocity. I just don't get it. Well, I could tell you that I could tell you from being a ball player playing all my life and as a kid and Nelly too, you know, growing up, uh, I could say that's complete garbage. Whoever brought that into baseball, uh, they need to get rid of that. They need to get rid of that and get guys to understand you need to know who you are and get back to fundamentally playing baseball because this game is a simple game, you know, for complicated people and players get complicated more than you can ever imagine and think about. And, and they get themselves in a place and they think, well, this is the way I should be swinging the bat instead of, you know, leveling the swings off. Because, you know, you got so many guys that are strong enough. If you just level your swing, you're going to make more contact and you're going to hit the ball out of the ballpark without even thinking about it. And I, I, just, I just think that's overrated. I, I think all that they brought into the game is overrated because, you know, growing up, you never had that. You, you played, you learned the fundamentals of baseball, how to play the game, and you played it that way. Every player's got to know who he is. You know, Wally Backman and Lenny Dykstra knew who they were on the Mets team. They were set the table for Hernandez, Carter, and myself. So you got to know who you are. I think some guys get to the place, well, 
I want to be a home run hitter like some of these other guys because I want to get a big contract. You're never going to get a big contract like those guys with 10 home runs and 95 strikeouts. You know, it, it, it never works that way because you're not putting the ball in play. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, you probably, instead of hitting home runs, you want to be on base so you can score over 100-something runs with the guys hitting behind you. And that's why I was so good seeing that on the teams I played with the Yankees, too. You know, when I you go back to the top of that lineup and you see Jeet and all the guys that were at the top of that lineup, they would always be on base for you and, and, and set up the situation for you to be productive. And I think that's why we were so productive in the playoff series that we got in because we always had guys on base. And when you look up and you got Ducks on base and you got that pitcher, you know, coming from the stretch, you know he's in trouble, you know, because he's got to face the meat of that lineup and somebody's going to get him and the meat part of that lineup. Daryl, it's Jake here. I'm glad you brought up the Mets. I'm the resident Mets fan on this show. And, you know, I wasn't alive in 86, but I've talked to a lot of your teammates from those teams, you know, from David Cohn to Lenny and, I, we always joke that, you know, if social media was around that year, the 86 Mets probably don't happen. I mean, you guys were electric. You partied. I mean, it was an incredible team. And, and do you look back fondly to the 86 memories? And, you know, I always say, you know, when we talk with Cone and those guys, that that really could have been a dynasty. In 88, it's it's still frustrating that you guys didn't uh, win another one. Yeah, it was very frustrating we didn't win another one. We were supposed to be like the Yankee teams I played on the dynasty, of course. Um, we lost in, We lost the whole pitching staff in 87. It just went down with the injuries and everything that took place. You can't go nowhere without a rotation. And you know, that's a good part of baseball and understanding. If you got a good rotation, you're going to be in every game. And I think 87, we won. 88, we had a phenomenal team. I mean, I just so you know, 88 was eighty-eight was a probably better talented team than 86, but didn't have the guts of the 86 team. The 86 team had guts, you know, and it was just like, we gutted it out. We just knew we were going to whoop people behind. Now I used to see teams over on the other side. They get ahead, get two or three runs, and they were high five. And we used to sit over and think, we're going to blow these fools out. They just don't have no idea. <laughs> you know, this, this this game is not over. You know, that's the kind of group we had in '86. And I wish '88 would have had that kind of swag about ourselves. You know, I think we we just kind of allowed the Dodgers, you know, to cap capture that World Series over us. You know, I mean, well, they go going to beat Oakland anyway. So I didn't feel bad after that. They swept down. So, you know, they had to go seven games with us. But we shouldn't have never lost that 88 series um, to the Dodgers. That had to have been but special a decade later to come to the Yankees, do it again, and do it with Doc and David Cohen on your side a decade later. I mean, there's not many people who could say that one on both sides, one in Queens, one in the Bronx, and did it with the guys they played with a decade before. Yeah, it was a lot of fun being able to do it with those guys because we had so many memories on the other side over in Queens. And, you know, it was just so different going over to the Bronx because the ownership over there was so much better, you know, for for us and, you know, as a person and everything, you know, because the ownership, and you know, at the time, over in Queens didn't really appreciate what they had over there. And I think that's why they never been able to get over the hump and get, you know, back in the winning circles. And after 30, over 30 something years, you know, they've been close, but they still hadn't, hadn't got there. They've been, but you know, the thing about getting over to the Yankees, you know, and, and being able to ride the ride that we had, we had a wonderful ride. Now, you know, we, like I said, we had a fun team every year, you know, we had a fun team. We had a good time, you know, kicking off the spring training and getting ready for the season. Cause like Nelly said, we, we, our expectations of us was to win. 
You know, it wasn't anything else. And I think that's what we went out there and did. And when we were, yeah, and when we were on the road, we had a close knit. I mean, we had, you know, it, it seemed like we always had 10, 15 guys in the same place, you know, after the game, you know, whether it was at dinner or wherever, it was always, it was always a close knit team. And it, I think that's one of the reasons why we won a lot as well. Players who have success, they always watch someone ahead of them or they always have their favorite ball player and they watch them all the time. You know, mine was Dave Winfield or Jim Palmer, and I used to watch them all the time. And, and you know, just to see how they – I was in awe when I got to actually meet Jim Palmer. never played him, but I played against Dave Winfield. Who did you watch growing up? Who who was your mentor? Who did you say, hey, you know what, I, I want to be like this guy? Yeah, no question. We all do have that. And, and mine was Dave Parker and Pete Rose. You know, I saw Pete Rose playing with the Reds when I was growing up in California. And I just remember those Saturday game of, game of the weeks. You know, I used to always be talking about the Cincinnati Reds had this great team, but they had this one guy, Charlie Hustle, in his uniform. was always dirty. And Dave Parker, you know, was just incredible. I thought, you know, I played right field, and he had he was 6'5". I was 6'5", and, you know, he was left-hand hitter. And I just, you know, really admired him, you know, that he could hit the ball the other way like he did and hit the ball in the ballpark the other way. And I just realized that that's the kind of player I wanted to be able to be, you know. But with power and speed, run and do it all, and that's, you know. So you you're right. You know, a lot of a lot of young players today probably don't even know some of the great great players that you see in the game. You know, I've seen. You know, I used to love guys like you know Tony Gwynn and Ozzie Smith. You know, those kind of players. You know, because they, you know, they were just such phenomenal players. You you see the way they played the game, and, and you realize that man, this is the way I want to play the game. And when I get to the big leagues, I want to have a lot of fun, but I want to be productive at what I'm doing. Daryl, on behalf of every Yankee fan listening to this, including myself, by the way, I'd like to thank you for coming over to the Yankees and winning those World Series with the New York Yankees because we had to put up with Met fans singing that stupid <laughs> Let's Go Mets song every five seconds when you guys won in 86. So the fact that you came over and won with the Yankees, then we could shove it back in their face. Let's Men go, let's world. go do it. Oh my do it. Hey, <laughs> make see, it what happen. see what I have to deal with? <laughs> now, we, 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 we all appreciate you, and we all appreciate all the teams. You know, your 86 Mets team, if you're a baseball fan in general, there's there's no way you can't look at that team and just be in awe of what you all did there and what you did with the Yankees as well with – with Nelly, my co-host. Just one more before we go. What are you doing now? What What's the most important thing with Daryl Strawberry right now? Well, of course, I'm in full-time ministry now, and I travel the country a lot and, and do a lot. I just got back from a weekend trip. I preached five services this weekend, Boise. So I'm very busy doing a lot of, a lot of good things. And, um, you know, I just don't have I don't get a lot of time to keep up with baseball much, but I get a lot of time to tune in uh, late, you know, when when I get back in and, and see, see a game from here and there. But most of the time I'm busy on the road. So I, I usually travel 250 times since the pandemic stopped. You know, now it's picked back up and I'm on the go doing a lot of things. Well, you got a book out, Straw, and, you, you know, it's, it's amazing yeah. what you've done with your life. And, you know, anybody that's in those services that look up to Dale Strawberry and listen to your message have got to be, you, you got to hit some people. You've got to, you've got to, I know you send great messages, but you've got to be a difference maker in other people's lives. Well, thanks, Nelly. I really appreciate that. And, you know, that's the reason why, you know, I am who I'm today. You know, I never forget, you know, where I came from and, you know, the struggle of life. And, and I try to encourage people because you, when you look at this nation and you look at how divided we are, it, it's the same, you know, that we got so many young people 
that are broken and don't have the right direction. So I try to encourage them that, you know, don't get caught up in the system and government and, you know, and everything else because they can't fix, you know, what the problems are. We as the people have to be able to fix ourselves before we can get well. Amen. God bless you, Daryl. Keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate you and thank you for coming on today. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you guys. That says goodnight to episode 47, the Jordan Montgomery edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for three for producing the show. Give Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the support. For the four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Shear, and we return on Thursday, of course, following the Yankees' four-game set in Baltimore. Enjoy the games, and as always... Thanks for listening, everyone.